You did it. You, you took care of me for a couple of weeks, and Bruce did a good job. And last week, you got the week off. And yeah, you, you're right. you do a good job. It's good to have Al back, too, right? In some, in some ways, it's good to have Al back in some ways. So, uh, all right. Uh, before I get started, we have a lot going on at Grace Life today. It's an extremely busy. First thing I want to mention today is uh, breaking bad to get. Oh, breaking bread. Sorry. <laughs> Together. Uh, a group of people are getting together for lunch at Chili's on 41. I hear they have fajitas there that are excellent. And so that's going to be right after church at noon. Uh, a lot of people are going to be there and having a good time. So make sure you uh, show up there. Um, hold on just a second. What's going on here? Okay. I have computer problems. All right. No, I don't. Um, and then we have a couple of other announcements. I, but I want to skip all those and just get to the point of something that just hit me as I was waiting to come up. We have a ton of staff and volunteers that do a lot of stuff. You know, we're mobile, so we don't have our own necessarily big building during the week. We have tons of volunteers for the Grace Life Food Pantry. We have volunteers upstairs right now in the 1900 building with our children's ministry. Uh, we're looking after the babies and, and teaching the older kids about Jesus and the Bible. They do a great job up there. We have people that work with our student ministry. We have people doing a lot of stuff uh, to make Grace Life work. And I just wanted to thank you guys for everything you do, you volunteers. The donut people are awesome, right? The, yeah. Praise God for the donut people. <clears throat> At this point, I have somebody I want to bring up, a friend of mine. He is actually, is, are you the star or the co-star of the Living the Grace Life podcast? Which one are you? Well, you're in that podcast, so I'm, I'm the co-star. Okay, so you're the co-star. Okay, so this is, come on up, Jim. This is Jim Hobbs, my friend uh, and, and cohort with the Living the Grace Life podcast. He asked us an announcement it's about the Bahamas, so go ahead. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, my name's uh, Jim Hobbs. Me and Joe do the Living the Grace Life podcast, so you can check that out. Uh, it's on iTunes, and uh, we're getting ready to start season two, so we're excited about that. Uh, in a former life, uh, I went by the title Caribbean Jim, which was my sort of moniker. I founded CheapCaribbean.com, which is a website that does travel to Caribbean and Mexico, and so this past week we had the horrific hurricane that took out both Grand Bahama Island and the Abaco Islands. And so the latest stats that we were getting, we have a lot of friends that uh, work in the islands because for those two islands in particular, tourism accounts for over half of all the revenues of the island. And the latest numbers were that about 90% of the 80,000 people that live there are homeless. A uh, cruise ship just showed up there yesterday, and they took a thousand people off the island, and they left about three thousand more that were trying to to get off the island. Um, the the real problem sounds like that it's the the death toll is around like forty or fifty, but they're saying that right now about six thousand people are missing, and they think around two to three thousand might be children. And so the horrific nature of that storm, never has a storm just sat for that long, 40 hours over a region, a category five. <coughs> so I just was like, well, I got to do something. And so I just called up Joe, of course. When I need help, I just called Joe. And then he makes things usually, I, I, then I'm more confused sometimes. <laughs> this time I understood that I'm just supposed to go do something. So Jim, I was like, this is not the podcast. This Keep is not straight, the podcast. Right? I better get to the point. Keep anyway, I decided I was just going to 
raise as much as I could in terms of funds and, and clothing and anything. So anything that you have that you want to donate, if you want to donate financially, uh, you can go to mobilepreacher.org. And make a donation. Just put other in the field, I think, when you go to donate. That'll go to the Bahamas. And if you have any clothes, anything that you want to donate, they need batteries, they need, I mean, they need, they need everything there. You can drop it off either here next Sunday or you can drop it off at the Grace Life Recovery Center, which is now at 5656 Swift Road. It's like right across the street from where it was. So you can drop anything off there. And then next Sunday... I'll be back here. I'm going to pick up everything. I really don't know how much stuff I'm going to have. We also partnered with IMG, where my son goes to school. And so they told me that they got everyone involved there. So if anybody knows how to drive an 18-wheeler, that would be great. Because I don't know. Really? Seriously? All right. We're going to talk. Because the goal is to just get everything. And then I'm going to drive it to Miami next no, Wednesday. No, you're not going to talk. You're I'm not, not going to talk? Not okay, we won't. I'm uh, so I'm just going to take all the stuff to this. There's two Bahamian churches that are drop-off points in Miami. So I'm just going to show up with this 18-wheeler in front of these Bahamian churches. And I'm going to say, hey, this is from Grace Life Church and IMG. And, and just give them everything they need. So anything that you guys have. I really appreciate it. It's near and dear to me because of all the business we did in the Caribbean and Mexico and all of our friends there. And I just want to thank Joe and everybody here for thinking about it and contributing to the cause. So thanks. thanks brother. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. Good job. Um, give that to Mike. Uh, that's going to be good. It's good for us as a church to participate in that. So just to recap, bring stuff here next week or during this week. You can drop it off at 5656 Swift Road at the Nightlife Center uh, where we do Grace Life Recovery. Uh, you can donate to this cause through Mobile Preacher, uh, mobilepreacher.org, and you can do that. If I'm not mistaken, Jim, September 19th, we start the podcast back up. Is that right? September 19th. So I know that you guys have been waiting with bated breath for episode 19. That will happen in a couple of weeks. So, um, all right. It's good to see people getting back uh, from a summer. Uh, we're continuing with our series on the life of Joseph. We're calling this Surviving in Egypt. For those of you that haven't been here, Egypt is simply a metaphor for the world, surviving in the world. And what we've done is, <clears throat> from a human perspective, we've been taking the life of Joseph and we've been going through and looking at events in his life and uh, just kind of making uh, examples of how it relates to things that we go through and what we can learn from that. And this week, the title of the message is called Vulnerability in Egypt. Now, vulnerability is a very scary word. It sounds risky. It sounds costly. Frankly, it sounds dangerous. Vulnerability sounds reckless. Vulnerability actually sounds like a liability, does it not? Especially when you think about it in the light of trying to survive in Egypt. And our first instinct as humans is to see vulnerability through the eyes of potential betrayal, shame through our exposure, Things we've talked about, betrayal and shame, the last couple of weeks. So by nature, what we do, and you may not even realize this, but by nature, what we do, humanly speaking, is we actually seek to avoid vulnerability. We seek to avoid all of its potential earthly risks. Because human eyes, our eyes, struggle to see the benefits of vulnerability. Not only do we struggle to see the benefits to ourselves, but we don't even think about the benefits our vulnerability can have for others. And the fact is, guys, if the church 
doesn't display vulnerability, real vulnerability, not false vulnerability, and we'll get it to that later. If the church doesn't display real vulnerability, we don't have a prayer of surviving in Egypt. Because Egypt will, no matter what, eat us alive. And what happens with a lack of vulnerability? You will be left suffering alone, discouraged, isolated. And for the next two weeks, we will be studying the fascinating relationship between Pharaoh and Joseph and the vulnerability that they had and all those that were benefited from their vulnerability. But this week we're talking about <coughs> this story in Genesis 45, uh, 16 through 28. When the report was first heard in Pharaoh's house that Joseph's brothers have come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. For those of you that weren't here to recap, Joseph has finally been reunited with his brothers. They know it's him now, and they're hugging and crying, and it's a, a, a reunion. It's restoration. We talked about the power of restoration last week, how restoration is better than revenge. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say this to your brother. This is the king talking to Joseph. Tell your brothers from me, do this, load up your beast and go back to the land of Canaan. Take your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land in Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. In other words, you don't got to bring all your junk. We're going to replace it with better stuff. The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. And to each and all of them, he gave a change of clothes. But to Benjamin, his, his natural brother, he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father, he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provisions for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away. And as they departed, he said, now don't start fighting with one another. Keep it good here. So they went out of Egypt and came up to the land of Canaan to their father, Jacob. And they told Jacob, Joseph, your son is still alive and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Joseph, Jacob's heart says it became numb, for he did not believe them. Why should he? But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Jacob said, Israel's another name for Jacob, it is enough. My son is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Let's talk about what we do here at Grace Life. We look at each passage under three applications. What's the history of the, application, of the passage? What about man? What did he do and why and how did he do it? Then we look at the spiritual. What about God? What does he do? And why and how does he do it? And then and only then can we really understand the personal. What about me? What am I supposed to do? Why and how do we do it? We'll look at the history. I want to talk about vulnerable leaders. <clears throat> Joseph is friends with the king. See, Joseph is much more than a member of Pharaoh's administration. He's much more than some employee. It is plain to see with Pharaoh's reaction to this news about restoration with his brothers that Pharaoh not only had great respect for Joseph, he had genuine, deep affection for this man. And no doubt Pharaoh had vetted Joseph before he made him the most powerful man in his administration, he knew everything there was to know about Joseph. I'm sure they had great conversations. It is safe to assume, in fact, they had many personal, vulnerable discussions 
about their hurts, their experiences, their fears. Remember, they became friends because Pharaoh was afraid of this dream he had and the famine. Pharaoh was being very vulnerable with Joseph at the very beginning. And last week we learned that when Joseph wept with joy over the restoration with his brothers, the scripture says that all of Pharaoh's house heard Joseph's tears. So it's evidence that they lived close to each other. It wasn't like one was in Venice and one was in Bradenton. They were probably both right downtown Sarasota. Really close. It's pretty fascinating to see that when Pharaoh hears of the reconciliation, the scripture says it pleased him. It's almost as if he had been rooting for it. Man, Joseph, what you went through with your brothers is great. I hope one day you guys can get back together. You know, I can go get them anytime you want. No, I'm not ready, bro. I'm not ready. Well, anytime you're ready, you let me know. Or if you want me to kill him, I can do that too, whatever you want to do. <laughs> but when he says, he hears about the reconciliation, he's pleased. I just find this absolutely fascinating. It gives us amazing insight to the depth of their relationship. This reaction to this news of someone's personal life is the result of an intimate, vulnerable friendship. And then what we see is Pharaoh does celebrate. He's thrilled. So much so he sanctions Joseph's plan to provide for his family. He says, not only are you going to provide for them, they're going to get the best Egypt has to offer. They're going to eat like we do. And as a matter of fact, I am making it a state decree. I command you to take all these wagons. I command you to take all this, and I command you to tell your dad, leave all your stuff. We'll provide everything you need. Come to Egypt. Pharaoh arranges an all-expenses-paid move. All their possessions, their livestock, their family members, everything, Everyone. He provides wagons, provisions, laborers, help. He gives them lavish gifts, a superior plot of land. He says, I'll give you the best land in Egypt. It's almost as if he's treating them like they are his family. Joseph and Pharaoh send special gifts of honor to Jacob. Now listen, what we learn next week about this little part, it's just in there, and he sends special gifts to Jacob. What you're going to learn next week I mean, I almost wanted to preach it this week, but I got to wait. It's going to blow you away why that was so significant. There's incredible depth to the fact that he gives Jacob all these gifts. But either way, this is all <clears throat> a result of years of vulnerable friendship between these two. They have been through a ton together. And then Jacob hears the news. Imagine the scene when Joseph's brothers come home with all these Egyptian wagons. Mules, food, servants, and commands from Pharaoh to move to Egypt. Add in the news, by the way, your favorite son, Joseph, he's still alive. And by the way, he runs Egypt. I mean, he's afraid to believe it at first. No, it can't be true. But then his brothers convince him and he submits to Pharaoh's command and he moves everything to Egypt. So that's the history of the passage. Let's talk about the spiritual. What about God? What does he do? I'm going to tell you, God loves vulnerability. See, God never intended us, his children, to live isolated. He requires us to have close, intimate, vulnerable relationships with one another. Not this surface stuff that we're really good at. He requires vulnerable, intimate relationships if we are really going to enjoy his presence in our life. 
Matter of fact, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 spells it out great. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their work. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. God loves vulnerability. God loves real connections, real relationships, not surface ones, not temporary ones, not ones that are for expediency or selfish gain. He loves real vulnerability. And God creates vulnerability. See, he has a track record all through Scripture of creating these types of relationships between people he is using, and for good reason. We think of David and Jonathan, Paul and Timothy. And Scripture is filled with examples of how God uses these kinds of uber-vulnerable relationships. As a matter of fact, he is the author of the circumstances that bring them about. And the relationship between Joseph and Pharaoh is, frankly, I'm going to tell you, I think it is the most underpreached, underappreciated part of the life of Joseph, this story of the connection between Joseph and Pharaoh. And it's easy, though, to see God's hand in building their friendship. I mean, think about the odds of them becoming friends without God intervening. Impossible. Their relationship has turned out to be a massive blessing to one another. Think of the incredible conversations they've had over the years. The vulnerable information they have shared with each other. We can make assumptions that Pharaoh knew about the history of Joseph's family dysfunction. I mean, it's the whole reason he was there to begin with. Joseph didn't hide these things from Pharaoh. You have to wonder what Pharaoh shared with Joseph, right? Guess what? We get a huge glimpse in the next chapter. Don't read ahead. Don't read your Bibles this week. Just kidding. No pastor ever said that. It's just a joke. We get a huge glimpse into the type of vulnerability Pharaoh shared with Joseph, and it's going to blow you away. Somehow God brings Joseph to a place where he develops a vulnerable friendship with the most powerful man in the world. This is part of God's plan to help us survive in Egypt, creating special connections that once we're in them, we realize we cannot live without. And that brings us to my next point of the theological or the spiritual part of this message. God uses vulnerability. The vulnerable, loyal friendships that God ordained had a powerful impact, not just for Joseph and Pharaoh, but for all of human history. The most powerful person in the world responds to Joseph's open vulnerability before all of Egypt. And how does he respond? With love and affection that everyone could see. Wow, Pharaoh really loves Joseph. And everyone knows it. Think of how powerfully God used the story of Joseph's family dysfunction (laughs) to forge this intimate friendship. About how the blessings that Joseph and his family and all of us have enjoyed because of his vulnerability. In addition to all of that, a little preview in the next week because I just couldn't stay away from it. I am convinced that God used this vulnerable friendship to save Pharaoh. I'm convinced that Pharaoh was a believer in Joseph's God, a worshiper of Joseph's God. There is ample evidence we will discover in chapter 46. I just can't wait to preach it. It's going to blow you away and change the way you see Egypt forever. 
And God uses this vulnerable friendship for His purpose, for us to preserve the line of Jesus and our salvation. It all goes back to the vulnerable friendship between Pharaoh and Joseph. All right, you ready? Here's the personal part. This is the part you're going to either love or hate. The church needs vulnerability. And this was my uh, social media campaign this week that we do on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It may seem strange, but vulnerability is crucial to surviving in Egypt. It's counterintuitive to think that leaving ourselves open and vulnerable is key to survival in a place, frankly, that's designed to chew us up and spit us out. But the fact is, a lack of vulnerability increases the odds that Egypt will destroy you. Think of the trust that Pharaoh put in Joseph and vice versa. This is the result of their vulnerability with each other. They both embraced their chances, or they both enhanced their chances of surviving Egypt because of their friendship. But I'm going to tell you something. Before we get into all that, there's a warning I need to give you, and it's very important. Because the church is really good at this next thing. Don't be fooled by your fake vulnerability. So I'm going to put it up there with all on its own in its own screen so we can call it out for just a few minutes and really focus on it. I believe it is a cancer in God's church. Because some of us, some of us even in this room, have not bought into vulnerability yet. We are playing church on the perimeter. We're keeping it safe. We'll put one foot in, one foot out. We look around. Every once in a while we can serve just for a second and run back. Then when we need something, we know the church is there and we can rely on the church to help us if we need something, but then we're out again. We allow the fear of betrayal to hinder our willingness to be vulnerable. And we start setting up barriers to vulnerability or good excuses. And then we fall into the pattern of displaying what I call fake vulnerability. Here's what we do. We want to appear as genuine and as vulnerable as possible, yet without really being vulnerable or at risk at all. Anybody relate to that or is it just, just Pastor Joe? Joe, you're the only one. All of us are genuine vulnerability. Fake vulnerability is for these reasons. Are you ready? Self-defense. Self-service. Self-provision. Self-promotion. And sympathy-seeking from others. That's fake vulnerability. We look to gain something for ourselves instead of seeing vulnerability in a way that benefits others. And when our selfish expectations of our fake vulnerability aren't met, then we get to play the victim. See, why should I bother to open up myself? I get nothing from it. And this lack of vulnerability is an escape hatch if things get a little tough, making it very easy for you to divorce your church family. It happens all across the country every week. People with fake vulnerability run into some problems, and they jet. 
This lack of vulnerability is hard. Why? Because if you have this fake vulnerability, it's easy to leave and divorce your church family. Why? Because you haven't invested very much. You kept your connections cheap. You kept them risk-free. You kept them shallow. And you've made it so that I can live without them if they're not there anymore. And consequently, here's what happens. When famine comes in Egypt, you will pay the price. Because now you're alone. In addition to that, you actually miss out on the opportunity to have your vulnerability have a chance to bless others. When they go through hard times, boy, fake vulnerability sure makes things superficial, doesn't it? It makes life kind of silly, pointless, just biding time. But now I want to talk about something I love. I want to talk about servant vulnerability. See, I don't know about you, but personally, I want a ton of Joseph Pharaoh type relationships in my life. I want an overabundance of Joseph Pharaoh relationships. I want gobs of them. The most profound impacts in my life as your pastor have been by people that provided servant vulnerability to me. Because servant vulnerability doesn't worry about betrayal. Its main goal is the encouragement and inspiration of others. Servant vulnerability displays transparency with the goal of inspiring without fear of betrayal. This type of vulnerability we are learning today is built on the heart of serving and loving others more than yourselves. I'm going to give you three great examples of servant vulnerability. You ready? The first one I wrote a lot about in my book, The Grace Life, which if you haven't bought yet, you need to buy that. I don't care if you never read it. Just buy it. And then... <laughs> no, I want you to read it. Or listen to it. It's on audio, by the way, too, just so you know. I spent a full chapter talking about Paul's vulnerability in Philippi. He says this to them in Philippians 1, 7, 8. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for all are partakers with me of grace, both in my chains, in my imprisonment, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul was stunningly vulnerable with the Philippians. Remember, he was facing pending death. But he knew that his unrelenting vulnerability would inspire them, serve them, and encourage them, and have them to be ready to stay faithful to Jesus when he was gone. Paul is a great... I, this relationship with Paul and Philippi has just revolutionized my mind and how I think about relationships, especially as a pastor. This guy loved that church, and his vulnerability served them so well. Can you see that? I'm going to give you a modern-day example. You ready? This is the best modern-day example I can think of of servant vulnerability, Grace Life Recovery. I'm there almost every week, maybe 90% of the time. So we get together for an hour, actually more than that. We, we start at seven, people start coming at five. Why, I don't know. Well, I know why, they wanna be first for pizza, maybe, I don't know. 
But you see, it's a big, that's just, that's just the front half of the room. There's more people in the back. I think a couple weeks ago, we had like 120, 125 people there. It's off the chain, right? Grace Life is, by the way, your church reaches about six to 700 people a week with different ministries. I don't know if you know that or not. It's not just Sunday morning. This is like one fifth of what we do. So you got Grace Life Recovery. This is the best modern day example in my life of servant vulnerability is what I've witnessed there in this room. The way these precious saints that God has saved and transformed, called them out of darkness into light, they serve one another through inspiring servant vulnerability. It's so encouraging. It's powerful stuff when they lay their heart to bear and they get up in front of 100 people and say, let me tell you what a wreck my life was, why it was a wreck, and how God has changed me. It is, I can't get enough of it. I mean, I I really can't get enough of it. It's the most amazing experience I've ever had in my life when I hear these people. I don't even know them very well. And they pour out all of their junk and garbage. And you know what it does? I see people in the room relating. Yeah, I could see that. And you made it through? So can I. That is servant vulnerability. This is why I try to be as open about my own sinfulness until the point that it embarrasses my wife, then i got to stop. But I try to be open about my own sinfulness in my sermons. Because you know why I do that? I want a real connection with my church. I want real relationships with you. I want to model in my flawed way, the best way that I can, a culture of vulnerability that makes grace life unique where grace life becomes powerful. I want you to know the real me, not the fake Pastor Joe me. I want you to know the Joe that struggles with sinfulness every day of the week. I want you to know the real me so that you will let me know the real you. Otherwise, Egypt will eat us both alive. But here's the best example. Jesus. That's the best example of servant vulnerability is the scene right before the Lord's table. Let's read this passage. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And when the hour came, in other words, when the hour came that he had something planned that they didn't know about, he reclined at the table. He's on their level. That's what that means. The Lord of the universe, creator of everything, is reclined at the table with his disciples and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Guys, this is my last meal. For I tell you, I will not eat until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Until what is fulfilled? The Passover. In other words, he's the lamb of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink the fruit of the wine or fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. The room is silent. You can hear a pin drop. This guy they follow for three years says, Listen, I really wanted to have this meal with you because I'm about to be gone. I'm going to display the ultimate vulnerability. I'm going to give up my life. Here's the creator of the universe sitting casually with sinners. Explaining he's about to express the ultimate expression of vulnerability for them. And then he goes through with this Lord's table thing. See, church, this is why I've had a passion since day one at Grace Life to change how the Lord's table is celebrated. 
I'm not saying this to, to knock how other churches do it. They all do it great, and it, that's not my point. But, but it, it took on a different flavor for me as I was studying Philippians years ago about vulnerability. See, often the Lord's table becomes a surface fulfillment of some ecclesiastical expectation. Sometimes it's just a regularly scheduled calendar event. A part of a church's comfortable liturgy that they've developed. I think it cheapens the true symbol of what the Lord's table is all about, which is the servant vulnerability of Jesus. So here's what I'm going to give you assignment to do here real quick. First thing, you'll see the, uh, the kits that we have. Uh, I know some of you aren't used to having Lord's Table this way, but it works for us uh, logistically. So there's a couple things. First of all, you can start preparing because I know sometimes it's hard to open up and you have to, somebody else has to help sometimes. But you, start, you can open it up and just get it ready for when we take the uh, Lord's Table. I want you to prepare your kits. Don't take it yet. And then once you're done with that, here's what we're going to do. Before we start, we're going to take a few minutes. And I'm going to give you an assignment that some of you may be excited about. Some of you might not choose to participate, and that's fine. I want you to find someone in the room. And I want you to thank them for their servant vulnerability in your life. Now, if there's no one in this room that fits that description for you, take time in your seat to pray for someone else in your life that's not here that maybe has displayed servant vulnerability that's transformed you. And then when you're done with that, make your way back to your seat. We're going to give you two or three minutes to do this. I'm going to ask each of you before we take the Lord's table to pray and thank God for vulnerable people and then I'm going to ask you to pray that God would inspire you to look for opportunities of servant vulnerability in your life for others in your church family because we we need you to be vulnerable it's got to be a two way street we, we are not going to grow spiritually unless we become vulnerable with one another. That's what the grace life is all about. All right, so I'm going to give you about three or four minutes for that assignment. Go.
start making your way back to your seats. Um, before we take the Lord's table, in the spirit of servant vulnerability, I forgot to take the offering. So we're going to bring that through right now before we take the Lord's table. Because, you know, servant vulnerability is expensive, so we have to. gotta say I love I love the dynamic of the Lord's table where people are together and they're talking and they're fellowshipping and they're connecting because frankly that's what the first Lord's Supper was it wasn't a solemn religious experience it was an extremely vulnerable open discussion between Jesus and his disciples that's actually the real biblical picture of the Lord's table what you guys were doing is exactly the way Jesus intended it to be done. And I love that. I loved watching different people from different parts of our church come over and talk to one another. That was really cool. And now we're going to celebrate the Lord's table. And in doing so, we are going to be thinking about the ultimate servant vulnerability of our Savior Jesus who died on the cross for us. And the scripture says, and he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave to them saying, this is my body, which in servant vulnerability is given for you so that you might live. Do this and remember me. says and after he had done this likewise he took the cup after they had eaten and saying this is the cup that is poured out for you it is the new covenant in my blood and he says as often as you drink it do this remembering me Church, we need this. Otherwise, we're just going to be playing church and wasting money. What makes the church powerful is servant vulnerability. Heavenly Dad, first, thank you for the model of vulnerability through your son, Jesus who died in our place so that we might have life no matter what our struggle, no matter what our pain, no matter what our mistakes, you bring us to restoration with you instead of 
enacting revenge upon us. You give us love and compassion and forgiveness and transformation. And we think of that servant vulnerability this morning as we celebrate the Lord's table together. But then, Father, we're going to take it another step in our prayer today. We confess to you we are really good at fake vulnerability. We want real servant vulnerability. We want to serve others through our transparency. Lord, give us wisdom, discernment, and creativity to know how to do that. We ask, Heavenly Dad, that even starting today, that there would be a different movement within our church that maybe could spread to other parts of our community of relentless, maybe even a little bit uncomfortable, but powerful servant vulnerability. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now may you go this week, be vulnerable with one another, encouraging each other, lifting each other up. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.